And this morning we're going to kind of lay it out of where we're going and what we believe God has for us, uh, personally and corporately as a church. We're picking up a story where there's two guys walking along a road. And uh, there's been a lot going on in their life, a lot going on in their mind. Um, there's the sense of hopelessness. Um, they've heard a lot about Jesus and his death, and uh, yet they'd set all their hopes on him. And so they're a confused couple guys in a, uh, a sense of despair. And let's kind of follow along what happens. Luke 24, verse 13, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. They came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? He said to them, What things? They said to him these things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also, some women among us amazed us. When they were in the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us from the tomb and found exactly as the women had just said, but him they did not see. He said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the pro- that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... And with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Down to verse 44. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance or forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Notice as he had this encounter, by the way, wouldn't you love to have Jesus as your Sunday school teacher? I mean, how good is this? And uh, as he's sharing with them, it mentions twice that he spoke about the prophets, all that the prophets had spoke about. Matter of fact, he even mentions all the prophets specifically. And we're going to be looking this summer at a group of prophets that we're probably not very familiar with. Matter of fact, if you close your Bible, there's going to be a thin strip of white, which indicates you probably haven't read them much. Um, And because it's the same in my Bible, too. Uh, This small group of guys, is we're going to look at them. Remarkable group. Now, going into this, I also know that there's some thoughts going on. And uh, I want to show you a picture, high school guys, middle school guys, you need to take note of this, because I'm going to help you learn how to dress, okay? So pay attention to the picture, Uh, Julie will give you another snapshot of this if you want it later, but it will be good for you because you need to know how to dress, okay? Now that's cool, okay? That's cool, and uh, that's stylish, notice the hair, and that is me, 1980, and... uh, 
so guys, that's my sister, the one I dance with. So, and so guys, take note of that. Now, some of you I can see, the Asplund boys, I thought of you this week, I'm like, they could really step up cool if they dress like this. <laughs> Riley Reen right now is trying to cower in his seat saying, ain't no way I'm going to wear something like that. And the reason, guys, right now you're cringing is because you're like, that's 1980. Um, that's, that's fine for you, but that's way out of style right now. I get laughed out of the gym if I wore that to prom or uh, laughed out of the school if I wore that to school because it's so outdated. I'm convinced that's kind of how we look at these minor prophets. You're, you're probably in your mind tempted to think, why would I give any attention? Like that suit, they're really outdated. It's kind of old. Matter of fact, it's even called the Old Testament. And not only is it found in the Old Testament, they're books that are really unknown, so why should I pay attention, Matt? They're irrelevant. They're outdated. Well, I would submit to you all scriptures God breathed, including the minor prophets. Although you might not know much about them, although they may be confusing, although maybe you haven't learned much in Sunday school about them or personal study, they're scripture. They're God breathed. And they got a lot to teach us. But for many, when you think of Old Testament prophecy, Old Testament prophets, there might be images that influence your concept of God. Some of those might be conjuring up frightening images of a, of a God who is a God of doom, who shoots down fireballs from heaven. And the images result in a, a misconception of a God, an angry God who's bent on destruction. In this case, God's gotten a bad rap when we look at the Old Testament, especially these minor prophets. And so in the coming months, we're going to look at some of these prophets who surprisingly reveal a God who's holy, totally other, and yes, he judges. He's also a God of great mercy. So it's great hope for us. You're going to see that, that word recurring over and over, hope. Hope for God's people. Now I want us to realize as we go through this, God is not a celestial ogre. He's a loving God and he's got a lot to say to us. And so we want to, but we need to clarify some things as we begin this journey, or else we, we lose context of it. And it really shows its relevancy. If we go back to the way God designed things in the Old Covenant, He introduced various kinds of instructors, various kinds of teachers. And so let's look at them, couple, just to kind of get context again. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, we're kind of introduced by Nehemiah is he references one of the instructors that God had given us. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man on a square, which is in the front of the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given Israel. Verse 14, we read this same chapter. And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. If you go to chapter 9, Verse 13 and 14. Then thou didst come down, as uh, Nehemiah is praying, then thou didst come down on Mount Sinai and didst speak from them, with them from heaven. Thou didst give to them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Though thou didst make known to them thy holy Sabbath and did lay down thy, them commandments, statutes, and law through thy servant Moses. So we got Moses the lawgiver, really the first instructor per se. We also have in Leviticus another group of instructors. Leviticus chapter 8, 
or chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. There's some other instructors, instructors were introduced to. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, who was a priest, a Levite. Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting so that you do, may not die. Sounds like God was pretty serious about that. It's, per, it's a perpetual statute throughout your generations as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, between the unclean and the clean, and so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them. And so you have these administrators of the law, these priests. But then there's another group of instructors we find in First Chronicles. This might be one that you wouldn't necessarily think of as uh, particular instructors, but they're here. First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 31 to 33. Now these are those who David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested here. And they ministered with song before the tabernacle at tent of meeting until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they served, mark these words, in their office according to their order. In other words, they had a designated office, and part of that office was to provide instruction. And so these sweet singers of Israel, these poets, served a purpose in their office. It is a type of instructor to Israel. And then in Genesis chapter 20, verse 7, we get the first reference to a prophet. We find it in the life of Abraham, the context is unique. We don't have time to go into all that. But Abraham is trying to pull the wool over this guy's eyes. Abimelech, who's confused, and he's, he's, he's kind of trying to figure out how he got put in this uh, situation. And God says, now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. So we have this first use of this word prophet in reference to Abraham. There's somebody making signals. Okay, it's not for me. Um, and so we have a prophet, this communicator of God's word. It's, it's a word nabai. In the Hebrew, it means to proclaim, declare, to speak as an intermediary. Abraham, he spoke to God, and God communicated his word to him. And this message primarily related to Israel and the community in the covenant family. But the ramifications extended to the entire world. But so we're introduced to this word, this title of this administrator or this instructor in Israel who's a prophet. So it's the first time we see the usage of it. Now these prophets had a distinct role. We find in 2 Peter 1.21, this verse, that says, For no prophecy has ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. They were spokesmen for God. They were mouthpieces for God. He spoke through them. They had a distinct role. Matter of fact, in Jeremiah... Chapter 20, verse 8 and 9. We get a little idea here of what that was like for a prophet. Jeremiah. He's kind of, right now we're picking, he's kind of complaining. Good thing we never complain, but Jeremiah is. And, uh, and, and listen to what he says. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones and I'm weary of holding it in and I cannot endure it. This distinct role in Jeremiah's life was something he was compelled to do. 
Seth, I had to do it. I mean, it's like burning in my soul. I need to get it out. And so this spokesman of God were compelled to speak what God told them to speak. And it was a distinct role. Now in the Old Testament, we read a lot, read a lot about priests. But the prophet's role was distinctly different. By contrast, the priest represented the people to God. They went into the Holy of Holies, they brought offerings. But a prophet represented God to the people. A priest ministered ceremonies of worship. But not a prophet. He ministered a proclamation of the word. A priest faced toward the Lord. But a prophet faced towards the people. And so there's a distinctly different role that prophets had. Now there are other designations in the Old Testament that refer to prophets at times. 1 Samuel 9.19, we see the word seer used in conjunction with prophet. In other words, prophets had special insight into the workings of God, not only in the past and the present, but even in the future. In Daniel 9.6, in Daniel's prayer, he refers to the prophets as thy servants, the prophets. So servant was another designation given to prophets. They served as servants. Messenger was another designation. In the Haggai 1.3, the prophet describes himself as Haggai, the messenger of the Lord. And that same word, messenger, is also used of heavenly messengers, angels, as well as earthly messengers. And so another designation of a prophet was they were messengers of God. They brought a message. The point being is these prophets spoke God's message, not their own, in that they had a distinct role, and it was often seen in their various designations. Another designation was called a man of God. It was used of a prophet, especially like Elisha. He was referred to as a man of God. It suggested that his message, the prophets, was based on a relationship with God. And so when they saw a prophet, what went through their mind is man of God. This is a man who knows God, who walks with God. And so there, his relationship with God provided the credibility for a prophet's word and message. Ezekiel 3.17, there's another designation called watchman. God referred to Ezekiel as a watchman who, who, who observed what's going on and brought a warning to the people. And so prophets function both as preacher and predictor, foreteller and foreteller. And yet their predictions were never meant to satisfy man's curiosity. Sometimes we approach prophecy like that. I'm curious. But it's not meant to satisfy our curiosity. It's meant to produce faith and a deeper love for God. And from many different backgrounds, we have prophets who are priestly families, shepherds. We even have a prophet who's a nut gatherer. And so we got all kinds of prophets coming from different backgrounds. But they were servants of God in each case, divinely appointed inspired to proclaim his word let's look at their identity a little more now in a similar manner we have diplomats you know we kind of send them to other countries and they represent the interest of our homeland and kind of in that sense old testament prophets were traveling diplomats to represent god to the people and to the nation of israel as we talk about prophets they kind of come in two forms really you could say there are prophets who are more oral in other words, there were no books designated after their names. Elijah, Elisha are a couple. Nathan, Gad, Ahijah. These were oral prophets. There's no books, in a sense, attached to their names. But then there's literary prophets, or we could say written prophets, and they had books attached to their names. 
Now we know that they were even broken down into two different groups, major and minor prophets. Major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and then Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. We'll put that book there. Then there are minor prophets. There were 12 of them, from Hosea to Malachi. Matter of fact, a lot of earlier manuscripts kind of title this almost as one book, all in prophets, called the Twelve. And so there's 12 minor prophets. Now, when I was a new Christian, I heard people reference major and minor. I thought major league, minor league. I'm a sports guy. Didn't know where else to go with that. So I'm thinking, okay, there's these major prophets, and then there's minor league guys. They haven't quite arrived yet to the major status. They're kind of like prophets in training. You laugh, but that's really what I thought. I didn't know any better. And then I learned that, and, and I'm still stunned by it, that the distinction, the name of major and minor, the only distinction was the size of the book. I'm like, seriously? That's it? So minor prophets aren't any less a prophet than the major prophets. They're, there's no minor league. It's just that their books are shorter. Okay, now, that's the minor prophets. So we're looking at minors who are smaller books. And so, example, next week we'll look at one prophet who's got one chapter. That's it. Small book, powerful message. And so that's the distinction. That's what minor prophets refer to. But these minor prophets, like the major prophets, they had to be men of great character. Theologian Leon Wood said this about them. Prophets had to be people of outstanding character, great minds, and courageous souls. They had to be this by nature. And then being dedicated to God, they became still greater because of the tasks and special provisions assigned them. Thus they became the towering giants of Israel, the formers of public opinion, the leaders through days of darkness. As we kind of go through some of these, you're going to find they're almost like telescopes. They kind of looked at the, at the moment, the present, and a lot of their words spoke to the present, but also had a, a far-reaching impact into the future. They almost had a, a, a double meaning, in a sense. One, four, one farther down, one closer. And we're going to see that a lot and break that down even more. And so, they're unique in that way, these minor prophets. Now, the landscape in which they step in is really unique. It's critical to our study. It's not just history, but I want you to kind of, I'm going to kind of describe the times in which they stepped into. There's a period of great change, upheaval, spiritual compromise, evil begun pervading the culture. There's financial crunch with periodic moments of prosperity, rise and fall of nations, people and cultures in complete disarray, leaders oppressing people. Doesn't that sound like the USA Today? Really. That's the times of these guys. So when we think irrelevant, we better rethink it. We're facing similar times to what they did, what they spoke and do. So their message isn't just an outdated message to people then. They have a word for us and our culture and our time and our place today. The major and minor prophets cover the period of Israel's history from about 850 to 400 B.C. Now the background into this is very important. And so we'll do a quick review here. Israel was a family. And they had a tribe made up of the descendants of 12 brothers. They enjoyed the same ancestry, the same heritage. Among them, not only a bond of blood, but a bond of faith. But these bonds were broken after the death of Solomon. Solomon had a son, Rehoboam. 
Israel requested of Rehoboam, said, we're having really tight times. Things are really, really difficult. We really could use some financial relief. Rehoboam ignored their request. So Israel responded by rebellion and a desire for independence. And since the king, Rehoboam, refused to help them, they said, we're now going to look out for our own interest. They chose their own king, Jeroboam. And this resulted in a divided kingdom. Only the tribes of Judah and Benjamin remain under the rulership of the house of David. And we read about the story of the divided kingdom throughout the Old Testament. It's one of wars, rebellion against God. In the northern kingdom, it would, it would be rebellion without reprieve. And from this time forward, Israel would be a land divided into two separate nations. There was the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was also known, as we read through the Old Testament, as Judah. And so as you read about Judah, think of the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. After the divided kingdom, they became known as Judah, the southern kingdom. Then there was the northern kingdom. They were the other ten tribes. And they had a, a unique history as well, which we'll learn. They were a separate independent nation. They were described, these ten tribes again, as Israel, as opposed to Judah. Oftentimes you'll see a reference in the prophets also as Ephraim, because Ephraim was the biggest tribe in Israel, and so we'll see that designation periodically as well. The reason that's important, I'm just going to give you one example quick of Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. Word of the Lord which came to Hosea the son of Beri during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeremiah, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. So Hosea steps into a divided kingdom. You have kings of Israel and you have kings of Judah. It's important context for us to understand that. And so you have this upheaval of a kingdom that's divided. It takes us to the minor prophets. The prophets that arose over the next 400 years would speak to the needs of both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They would call both king and country back to God. Now to place these prophets in certain kind of almost a line of lineage or a line of history, it helps us to know three terms. And these terms are given to the prophets and it speaks in terms of a Babylonian captivity. The Israelites were brought into uh, exile. They were captured. They were brought in captivity by the Babylonians. And there are three terms associated with that which helps us place these prophets. The first one is pre-exile, pre-exilic prophets. They came to warn God's people of impending judgment, of impending captivity. They called people back to God lest they experience God's judgment. To the northern kingdom was sent Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. To the southern kingdom was sent Joel, Micah, Habakkuk, Isaiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah were sent to the southern kingdom. Obadiah to Edom. Then there was exile, the exilic time period. Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, who also wrote Lamentations, they wrote from Babylon to encourage the people of God to restore, that God would restore the nation, to learn the lessons from their sin. So they wrote from Babylon. They were, being, they were in captivity, that's they wrote, that was their context. Then we have the post-exile, the post-exilic time period. It was after they returned to Jerusalem, which occurred, by the way, in three phases, you have Ezekiel, or you have, excuse me, you have Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. 
And they, are, they wrote to people who had already returned to Jerusalem after exile. And so I think you have an insert with kind of that on there. Keep that. To kind of help you place the context of where they're speaking and who they're speaking into. But in all their cases, there's tremendous themes we're going to get out of here. When we look at the minor prophets, there's many themes, but there's some that really, really surface. The first thing is, and I hope that's one of your prayers as you and I study, is that we would get a bigger vision of God. The minor prophets are going to challenge the limits we put on God. They're going to challenge the way we kind of form God. And take us outside that and say, no, God has revealed himself much differently than sometimes we perceive him to be. We're going to look at the theme of the holiness of God. He's absolutely pure, absolutely righteous, just, merciful, long-suffering. He's great beyond measure, absolutely pure. We're going to learn a lot about the holiness of God as we look at these minor prophets. We're also going to learn much about the sovereignty of God, his complete rule both past, present, and future. We're also going to tackle some tough questions. Why does God allow some of the things he has? How does God and evil relate? So we're going to, we're going to tackle some tough things because the minor prophets tackle them. It's going to allow us to wrestle with some tough questions. We're going to hit the theme of the immutability of God's word, that he carries out his promises. He doesn't change like the shifting sand. That we can depend upon him. We to act consistently with His Word. And just like the culture we live in that's ever changing their mind about things, God never does. God is unchanging, unyielding in that way. We're going to learn about the terribleness of sin. That's not just simple mistakes, but they're horrific transgressions against God. That He abhors iniquity. That He can't tolerate, overlook, or excuse our sin. But he's willing to forgive those who humbly repent. The theme of righteousness and repentance will come up often because the prophets gave a clarion call to recognize that though God's punishment and judgments were severe, it was here that God's mercy was most clearly seen. And obviously they pointed to the Messiah who'd come and take upon himself the sin and judgment we deserve. And so they pointed, just like Jesus said, all the prophets pointed forward to him. We're also going to learn much about the worship that's due God. About proper reverence, proper awe, proper respect. We're going to hit some themes, maybe familiar struggles you face. Disappointment, failures, unmet expectations, confusion, how to handle money, how to, how to restore passion. How to view success. Sounds like things we face pretty much every day. And the minor prophet's got a word for us. So they're going to speak into our life. And there's a reason for our study. There's three things emerge. I really prayerfully hope that each of us, kind of on the other end of this study, will get out of this. One is that we know God more intimately. So we can love Him more deeply. That we know God more intimately so we can love Him more deeply. That as we study God's Word, that we'd hear what God's speaking to us. And that knowledge of what we learn would cause us to love Him more deeply. I think we need to learn more about God's heart and God's character to worship Him more fully. To learn more about God's heart and His character so we can worship Him more fully. It's certainly going to be helpful for us to learn more of the workings of God. 
so we can know how to recognize his leading, so we can follow him more steadfastly. There's not a person in here who sometimes wonders, how do I know if God's leading me here? How do I know what God has for my future? Minor prophets are going to help us to learn more of the workings of God. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10.11 says this, Now these things happened to them in reference to Moses and the Israelites. These things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Romans 15.4, For whatever was written in earlier times, minor prophets, was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And that's why the minor prophets, one of the reasons they're written is you and I could read and learn and grow. We could have hope for the future. It's a major message of the minors is to help us grow towards God. Giving us confident hope to face future. The assurance of God's absolute control. And so let this be your prayer this summer. That you and I would hear God's message that he has for you. And that he has for me from the minor prophets. Now you can pass on the old style the way I dressed. You can pass on the way the style of my hair. But you and I make a grave mistake if we ignore the message of these minor prophets. So this summer, let us together major in the minors. Let's pray. Lord, I, something about a journey always in, kind of brings about in me an excitement. Um, a sense of expectation. I think that's fitting, Lord, that as we approach this study this summer, the Lord, that we would have that sense of expectation that the Almighty God, the Most High God, wants to speak to me. That should cause expectancy. That should cause great joy that you would even care enough to speak to my heart and my situation. And yet, you want to, God. And so I pray that you would find us as your people with ears longing to hear. Hearts that want so much to embrace your voice. Eyes that could see you afresh and see you anew. So God, we look forward to the journey this summer as we learn more about your heart through these minor prophets. Might the end result of our study be that you are glorified, that you are honored, and you are worshipped more fully and from hearts that love you more deeply. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.